HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Farm Report, where we talk about the nitty-gritty of agriculture and food production each week. I'm your host, Holly Cedarholm, broadcasting live from the Heritage Radio Network in Bushwick, Brooklyn. With me today is Jenny Tilton Flood of Flood Brothers Farm. Flood Brothers Farm is a family-owned and operated dairy farm in Clinton, Maine. The Flood family has been farming here for over 200 years, and first started shipping milk commercially in 1927 under the direction of the then 14-year-old George Flood Sr. in 1980 when the land <clears throat> transferred to his sons Bill and George Jr., the dairy was milking 300 head. Their operation has experienced considerable growth since then. The Flood's 4,600 acres are now home to 3,400 cows with a milking herd consisting of 1,600. Though their customer has remained constant since the mid-1990s when Flood Brothers Farm became a member owner in the Agrimark Cooperative, which most people know um, as the Cabot Creamery Cooperative of Cheddar fame, which is one of their brands. So I've invited Jenny to the show today in tandem with some a big event, um, the Cabot's second farmer's grad, uh, gratitude tour in which 100 dairy farmers um, will be making appearances at 38 stores across Metro New York this weekend. So, Jenny, welcome to the Farm Report. Thanks a lot, Holly. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, so first off, yeah, thank you for stepping off the tour. I understand that you are already making your way around the city um, with some other dairy farmers, so I appreciate you taking that time to talk with me. So where are you right now, and, and what are you up to? Um, right now, I've just I've spent the morning and yesterday with two other farmers, Cabot farmers from Woodstock, Connecticut. We've been doing random acts of cheddar. We've been stopping at uh, volunteer organizations, B Corp partners, and engine houses, firefighters, police stations, to really show our gratitude, our Cabot gratitude. Um, 
we, these random acts of cheddar just involve us thanking people. And right now I'm in the heart of New York City near Madison Avenue, and I am... Uh, I am seeing the world from a different vantage than I usually do at the farm. Yeah, it looks a, a little bit different, I'm sure. <laughs> it does, it does. Um, so this is Cabot's second ever, as I understand, Farmer's Gratitude Tour. Um, and like you said, um, you, you, you're normally not in New York City. So this seems like a, a special opportunity for dairy farmers within the cooperative, which um, is a wholesale model. So you're, um, you know, you're not leaving the farm very much. A, a bulk tank exists in your dairy and a, a delivery truck comes and picks up your milk. So it seems like this special opportunity for the farmer who may be tethered to their dairy barn 365 days a year to get out and engage with their customers. So I'm sure that you and the other 99 farmers um, still have a lot of work to do. So what's the value in it for you to participating in this tour? Well, the biggest value, I think, is to really bridge that gap between the consumer and the farmer. As a farmer, we really take pride in the fact that our hard work helps to feed our neighbors and, you know, it really does help feed the world. Um, sharing our brand, our Cabot brand, not many farmers get the opportunity to belong to a co-op like we do and stand behind a brand and have a brand that stands up for us. And to be able to talk to consumers face-to-face, to let them meet their farmer, you know, a lot of consumers want to know where their food comes from, but they also want to know from whom. And we're really proud to be able to meet them and greet them and thank them for buying our food and let them know that if you have questions, you have concerns, and you just want to know who's raising your food, that it's us. And, you know, on the other hand, a lot of farmers don't understand what it's like to live in a city. We know what it's like to walk outside and and see our neighbors and and work on our back 40 and be with our cows every day. Um, But it's, it's a lot different in a concrete jungle like this. And it's a great experience for us farmers to really know what it's like to make a choice and appreciate the choice people make when they choose our products. Um, so when you're not um, out um, in in the bus um, and doing random acts of cheddar, what are some of the other um, ways that you sort of bridge the gap to with your consumers? Well, when we're not here in New York City, um, a lot of us Cabot farmers do take the opportunity to make sure that we're talking regularly, either on social media, um, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest, or just having conversations. I'm a, a mom, so I'm at team dinners for football and field hockey, and I always make sure people know what goes into the food I'm feeding them and why I'm trusting it to nourish them and why I think it's really good for them. Having those conversations face-to-face are really important, and it doesn't matter if you live in a really small town where there are more cows than people like I do, (laughs) or if you're living, you know, an hour, you know, less than an hour outside of Boston where one of our other farms lives. Um, You have these opportunities every day and in every way to really make sure people know that their food is raised nearby and by people who care. Um, So I'm going to... I want to sort of drill down a little bit and give our listeners um, sort of a view of your farm, um, and then we'll maybe get back into some more of the gratitude tour. Um, So your family farm, um, as I understand it, is home to three generations, maybe four, since you're adding um, your children into the the family tree. So um, how do you fit into the flood family puzzle and what, what is your role on the farm? And maybe some of just like briefly, what's the, how do, how does your family fit? Like run the, like what jobs does everybody 
Well, um, I like to say that our family farm puts the fun in dysfunction because it is a family business. But right now we have three generations on the farm. It had been four generations until our older generation passed away. And oh, I'm sorry down to hear that. Um, we have six families and 22 family members. Over a dozen of them are on the farm daily, whether they're working or volunteering um, and are part of the operation. Um, one of the most important aspects of, of family farming and dairy farming in particular is it is every day, like you said, 24-7, 365. And um, everybody has a role to play. We can all fill in, um, and if we need to, someone can cover somebody else's bases. But um, we have we have kids as young as three, and our older generation are over at the age of 60. We'll leave it at that. Um, but... You know, we, we focus daily on making sure that our tasks are done, taking care of the cows, and that's, that's where everything goes from. It circles around that cow, um, caring for her. My husband primarily handles feeding the animals. My brother-in-law primarily handles um, the herdsman duties um, and milking the cows. Um, I myself got intertwined with the whole ordeal. I'm the daughter of the John Deere salesman, so I was delivering parts. I was the parts girl, and... Um, the rest is sort of a fairy tale of tractors and diesel. Um, <laughs> a fairy tale of the farm. My sister-in-law, she's the large animal vet. Um, you know, we it's it's three generations of on the farm, off the farm agricultural cooperation. Yeah, that sounds um, that sounds really great. And do you bring in? Um, so your farm is of sort of a larger scale than some of the other. I was looking at the average size of the uh, Cabot Farm Cooperative, and you guys would go on the large end of the spectrum. So do you employ people outside of the family on the farm as well? We do. We do. And the average dairy farm throughout the United States is right around 200 milking cows. So we do exceed that, but it is a family farm. Our workforce is around 50, 52 people, depending on the season. But again, half of those numbers, um, or close to half of them, are actually uh, family members as well. So we depend on employees and coworkers, but they're also family members as well. Um, we have employees that have been with us since they were 15 and they're in their 40s now. Um, we have mothers and sons. We have grandfathers and granddaughters, husbands and wives. Um, you know, it's, we, it's hard to find a farm that isn't run and exists because of the farm families involved. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are a real part of the, the landscape um, in Clinton, Maine, where you are. We are, and we're actually just one of five family farms in the town of Clinton. I joked earlier about us having more cows and people, but we do. Um, we've got four other family farms. They're all Cabot farms as well. Um, we're Maine's dairy capital. Our, those five family farms together produce 15% of Maine's milk overall. Well, it's nice flat river bottom land over that way. <clears throat> There is. There's, there's some nice deep clay that provides for some real fun spinning tires at times, but we grow some <laughs> great crops, we raise some great soil, and we, we have some really fabulous Cabot cows. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to uh, go a little bit more into um, the production details of the Flood Brothers Farm. So you guys have um, 17,000 gallons of milk coming out every single day. So that, that's a lot of milk. I'm used to... Um, 
you know, I milking two goats um, and getting a half gallon mason jar each morning. So this is a little bit of a mind jumble for me to to conceive that volume. So you've got a milking herd of 1,600, um, and that breaks down based on my math to an average of 10 gallons of milk per cow per day. I'm I'm just assuming that these are Holstein cows based on that high value of milk. But so um, what what guys what do you have in your herd? We are primarily Holsteins, but I will make a real big shout out to the folks with the colored breeds like the jerseys. We have some major jersey love for those efficient, beautiful cows. Um, but we're really proud of our black and white Holsteins. Um, Graham Flood was a big fan of the white cows, so, and uh, we've always been pretty, uh, pretty partial to red and whites. But we concentrate um, not just on the quantity of the milk, but the quality. That's where um, the real value comes in, um, and we work really hard to make sure we feed them that way. And, and even though it's a lot of milk, um, that milk goes right down about, you know, 75 miles south of us and turns around and is on the tables of our neighbors within 36 to 48 hours. Maine overall can only, its family farms can only produce 93% of the demand. So, you know, we, we work really hard to make sure that we're feeding our neighbors. So where, um, so you said it goes, <clears throat> so the milk leaves the farm in a, a truck. Um, and then, like, what are, what are the steps between... Um, you like, um, you know, some people might think, oh, like milk, we get the milk, we drink the milk, but you're, the milk is ending up mostly as processed products through the Cabot Cooperative. So maybe you could just do a little um, a, a route, a roadmap for us. Okay. So some, some Cabot farms live nearby to our plants that produce cheese. So their milk is actually going to go right into that fabulous world's best cheddar that you can get pretty much anywhere. Um, and some of our farms, like ours, are far away from those Cabot cheese plants. So our milk is going into our local bottlers and processors. Okay. Um, and before any milk, it doesn't matter where it's going, but before any milk leaves the farm, it's going to get tested for quality. The farms are inspected. Um, we have to meet standards of care, stewardship, sanitation. Um, and then the milk leaves on the milk truck samples are taken before it meets, reaches its destination and before it is offloaded, no matter what the purpose is, it's going to be tested again for quality and for safety, whether it's antibiotic residue or it's the high quality standards that our co-op demands and we meet regularly. So once it's offloaded under the truck, that high quality product will be made into a variety of different products. For us in Maine, a lot of times that's going to be that fluid milk, those gallon jugs, those half gallons the chocolate milk that we see for a lot of our Cabot farms throughout the Northeast. Um, they have the options of it going into higher value products like our cheese um, or sour cream and ice cream and such. There's a wide variety of uses for the, for the milk, so we try and make sure that all the milk we produce is perfect for each use. Um, so what, what are some of the quality standards? Like you said, you obviously you're testing for things like antibiotic um, residues, which are not um, allowed, I understand they're not allowed in um, the Cabot Cooperative. So what, what are some of the other quality things that you're looking at? Like, Okay. 
Um, and and all milk that you get from processor or licensed farm is antibiotic free. Um, one of the other things we're looking for is really high quality as far as our butter fat and protein levels. And we also want to make sure that our somatic cell counts or that presence of white blood cells and leukocytes is really low. We want to keep it below 450 and 400 depending on the 400,000, excuse me, for our processors. Um, this is a standard that's a little bit above um, what might be national standards, but what you'll find if you go throughout the country in the United States is that processors and co-ops throughout the America do demand these higher rigid standards. They want a quality product to give to the consumer because um, the consumer really wants that. And what um, I think most consumers might not know what a somatic cell count is. What, what is that indicative of? Okay, if if you get sick and you go to the hospital and they want to run a blood test on you to see, um, they want to take a blood count and they come back and say, yeah, your, your white cells are up. Um, and we hear that on the doctor shows all the time. Um, what that indicates is your white blood cells are rushing to your body's defense in anticipation of a possible infection or something. It's the same with our cows. If their white blood cells actually increase, it may indicate that they're getting sick and they're trying to fight it. So it's a sign of quality of their milk. So we try to keep those levels down below 450, uh, excuse me, 450,000 or 400,000. And it's a parts per billion, I think, but it's a very small amount. It doesn't amount to anything with the naked eye. But they look at this, and this is an indication of the quality. Yeah, so to make sure, yeah, to make sure that yeah. you have healthy cows in your herd. Exactly, because a healthy animal is a content animal, and a content animal is going to be producing a high quality product, and that's what we put on people's tables. Great. Um, so, again, for people who aren't really familiar with the inner workings of a dairy, obviously. Um, for the cow to produce milk, it needs to be bred, and then it has a lactation cycle. So I'm sort of wondering if we could spell out um, why you have um, 1,700 cows that are not in production, and I think the lactation cycle and um, the drying off period might lead into that a little bit. So what is the standard lactation cycle for the cows on your farm? Um, and maybe you can go into a little bit of like the breeding bell curve um, and that sort of thing. Okay, great. Well, while we have 3,400 animals on our farm, that actually encompasses all ages from an hour old till to maybe 15, 16, or 17 years old, and everything in between. Um, for the first two years of a cow's life, as they're a young heifer on our farm, they're getting cared for, they're growing, they're, they're getting healthy, they're getting ready to be adults. We're treating them just like we would treat our own kids, really preparing them for um, the work ahead. Um, once they're old enough to be bred and healthy enough, it isn't just a calendar, it's the animal's health. If we find out when they're two years old um, or, you know, about six, about nine months before they're two, that they're healthy and they're ready to be bred, we're going to go ahead and get them bred to a, to a bull that's matched up to them that's going to help produce an animal that's healthy but not oversized for them because we want this to go smoothly. Um, it's their first baby, and for us, it's their first baby for them. So once they have given birth to a calf, they're going to start lactating, and that's when they'll start getting um, familiar with our milking parlor. And at our farm, they get milk three times a day. And we found that actually ensures that they're comfortable and they're happy. Um, and then for the next, probably for the next uh, 10 months, they will continue to provide milk that we send to our bottler. 
Um, at that time, after about a year, they're probably going to have another calf. That's the plan. And again, it all depends on making sure that they're healthy and this is what works for them. Um, we could go by a calendar and we could go by what we want, but what we try to do is make sure that what works best for the cow is working best. So. Um, and so what, like, how do you account for it? So you obviously have different age ranges that are, um, once they arrive at breeding age, you're, um, you keep the cows in production as long as they're presuming, like you're saying, like based on their health and what is the average age that you keep the cows in, um, the, the breeding pool on your farm? Okay. Um, the average age of a cow on our farm is probably somewhere between, um, six and seven years old. It doesn't mean that the cow has reached a point where she can't go on or that she's tired or used up. It just means that the young stock that we're raising behind her is doing a better job, and nobody likes to see someone pushed out of the workforce, but that's how it works. As a small farm or any size farm, we are a business, and we have, um, we have to make sure that we're putting the best product out there, and we have to make sure that we're able to support our families as well. So when the cows are no longer exceeding the standards that their predecessors or their young stock are actually setting, then we make the decision for them to possibly leave the farm. Um, in the meantime, while before they have their calves, they'll actually get a maternity leave of about <laughs> 90 days to sort of rest up and really fuel up for those days and milk they have ahead of them. Oh, well, that sounds um, that sounds nice, a little maternity leave for the cows. So what, um, you said that was the 90-day window when? Right before they calve. We we know when they're going to calve. There's, there's a lot of similarity between a, a, a prenatal visit for women and the uh, the pre-pregnancy checks that our veterinarians provide our cows. They're able to check and they use ultrasounds and they determine how far along they are, what the due date is, and we figure out at what point, if these animals are already milking, we're going to go ahead and, and stop them from milking and so they can concentrate on growing their babies for the last month or so and getting their bodies really ready for, for producing milk. All right. Um, so I think we've come to a good spot to take a short station break. When we return, we're going to get a little bit more into um, how a cooperative um, milk dairy works. Okay, great. Thank you. It's true I could have done better But I won't be believed to fully take the blame The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. 
This is The Farm Report. I'm your host, Holly Cedarholm, and my guest today is Jenny Tilton Flood from Flood Brothers Farm in Clinton, Maine, who is actually right now in New York City as part of Cabot's Creamery's second Farmer's Gratitude Tour. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about the specifics of um, the, the her farm in Maine, her family's farm in Maine. Um, and I wanted to go a little bit more um, into... The, the cooperative structure of um, Cabot. So um, listeners in the Northeast will likely know Cabot. And I think, is it a national brand, Jenny? Actually, the brand is available nationwide. I've been in California and been able to walk into a small store and pick up my, you know, a little taste of home and some Cabot cheese and share it with friends. So, yeah, you can get it almost every state, I think. Great. Or they should. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's um, so. But what listeners, I mean, many might know this, but it, it, it some might not that it's cooperatively owned by twelve hundred different family farms spread across New England and upstate New York. And um, your farm, the Flood Brothers Farm, is just one of those twelve hundred different um, co-op owners. Um, and the, another, um, again, as part of this gratitude tour, there's a bunch of other co-op owners running around the city this weekend. So your family has been a farmer owner since the 1990s. Um, what does it mean to be a farmer owner in the cooperative? Oh, it's, it's an amazing feeling, actually, because there is um, strength when it comes to being a farmer. You really have this independent streak. But when you're one farmer facing the world alone, it, it can be a really lonely place. Being a part of a cooperative, especially one like Cabot, where we're the owners, 100% of the profits go back to us Cabot farmers. And our board of directors are farmers just like us. We elect them. They represent us. They keep us informed. You know, we're able to carry on all those commitments to community or commitments to our land. And all those things are amplified by by Cabot, and we have a brand. We have, you know, this this amazing cheese and these great Cabot products that we can stand beside, and they stand behind us as well. Um, it's it's empowering, it's invigorating, and it's really special to be a part of this family. Um, you know, 1,200 of these farms throughout the Northeast, 650 of them alone in New York State. Um, in my state, 90%, that's a third, excuse me, 90 farms, that's a third of our farms in Maine are Cabot Farms. Wow. Um, it's, it's a really amazing feeling. Um, really proud to be in a store or meet somebody when they see me, you know, talking about cheese or they see me wearing Cabot plaid. I really like being part of that clan. Um, So in terms of, um, so you mentioned that you have a board of directors that are farmers that have been elected. So is that um, in terms of like just trying to parse it out? Like, so you have your farm where you make your decisions on your farm, your family makes your decisions. And then there's um, this brand that you've talked about, Cabot, that also has um, its business model. So who like makes the decisions in like, how does that work? Like, is it through the election of the board of officer, the board of directors or like if you, yeah, like for instance, I was reading, um, like you were, um, at one point you had this way byproduct from making cheese and you were trying to figure out, um, as the cooperative, how to, um, turn that not necessarily into a waste product, but into something that you could sell and you bought like a powdered whey facility so you could sell dried whey. So things like that, like how, like, how do you make decisions? Well, um, one of the best things you can be when you're a farmer and one of the best ways to be a good farmer is to know who to trust. 
and who to trust to make good decisions. We elect our farmer representatives um, from our regions to be on the board of directors, and our board of directors do an absolutely phenomenal job of making decisions and making sure that the people who run our plants, the people who market our brand, the people who research and develop new products are the best. Um, so sometimes it's hard to let people do their job. As a farmer, you want to be in control of everything. You want to micromanage. Yeah. But one of the best things that Cabot does is making sure that we have the finest people who are there and who are devoted to to Cabot brand, to the Cabot farmers, um, and that and that's actually the secret to our cooperative, I think. Um, yeah, because it seems like the cooperative model, um, like you said, it returns 100% of its profits, like the net income to its members. It was basically, um, they have dairy cooperatives specifically have a long history of guarding against fluctuations in milk prices. So it seems like that's one of the reasons that they really started to take hold in the country. But it sounds like there's all of these other tangential benefits that you're saying, like being empowered to be part of a group and have a strong brand. It, it is. I mean, and you can go throughout the country and you can find dairy farmers that work just as hard as we do, but they, they just aren't lucky enough to have a brand that they can stand behind. I mean, we have, um, we have the ability to stand as one. Um, we can make independent choices. We have 1,200 farms. We have 1,200 different farmers. We have 1,200 ways of doing things. But at the end of the day, we're all producing a really fabulous product. We're taking care of some wonderful cows. Um, and we are making sure that we are protecting our way of life, which just happens to be the way we make our living. So we, we do have an extra edge, I think, sometimes, and it is a plus. Um, yeah, well, farming, um, can, farming can be difficult. I can't imagine doing it alone. Um, so in terms of protecting um, your way of living and your livelihood, I was curious a little bit about the determination of price points for the milk. So um, like you said, you get the profits from the cooperative, but then you also obviously get paid for the milk as it's coming out of your bulk tank. So what um, does a member in like being a member of the co-op, does it guarantee a set pricing? And then that's sort of part one. And then the other thing um is that is that um how does that price change like or is it you just maybe you could if you know a little bit about that um you know if i could explain in a cute soundbite the federal milk order pricing system <laughs> and how dairy farmers receive their payment oh, come on. i am pretty sure that i would be very famous and very popular <laughs> Meanwhile, I will say that while all dairy farmers face the same pricing structure and systems regarding um, commodities and their blend price and their market price and all that, um, one of the things that being a part of this cooperative, our Cabot Cooperative and Agrimark Cooperative, provides for us is a path to market our milk. They market our milk for us and help us find a home for our milk, which is one of the struggles um, that I'm sure many farmers in this area and throughout the country can tell you is a struggle. Yeah. Balancing that milk and the demand and the supply is also important. And Cabot has been able to, and Agrimark, our co-op name, is, they've been very, very successful in protecting not just our farmers, 
but in protecting the market and the future. It would be really nice if we could just worry about today, but we can't. We have to worry about months ahead, years ahead. So it's very important to balance all of that. And that's one thing they do extremely well. Yeah, I've definitely heard um, through my, my time in Maine, I've definitely heard a lot of stories about farmers um, who have been, you know, they've had a contract with one company and suddenly they're they're so far off the, the milk track that their contract might fall through because the trucks don't want to go out that way. And then they're scrambling to pick up um, another contract to keep things running smoothly because they can't keep milk on the farm because it's perishable and all of these these things to keep the farm going. So it seems like um, the cooperative kind of hedges against that risk by having a um, set place, like you said, a set market at the ready for your, your fluid perishable product. Yes, I mean, and, and having that home and knowing that that's taken care of really allows us cabinet farmers to focus on the quality of the product and to make sure that, um, you know, we are putting out there the best product we can, this milk, it's, you know, highly nutritious and so beneficial to so many people, but also great tasting in all different forms. So having that little bit of leeway to really concentrate on that instead of trying to worry about who's going to pick up the milk tomorrow. Um, I'm really familiar with the stories and issues you're referring to in Maine. It can be a battle. Um, so that's a, it's another, another benefit to being a member of, of this cooperative. Um, so you're talking about focusing a little bit on, you know, having the time to focus on the animal. So you don't, um, uh, you're not necessarily dictated by the the cooperative as to how to raise your animals. So how um, how do you make decisions on your farm personally about things like um, access to pasture and feed composition? And maybe you could talk a little bit about just the rearing of the the ladies on the farm. Okay. Well, you know, every I, t- I did tell some of the sellers at, um, I think it was Engine 65 today, excuse me, Engine 16, Ladder 7, they're the most awesome firehouse in New York, by the way, <laughs> um, that, you know, basically we spend our days surrounded by 3,400 hormonal females. So really, honestly, we are worried about pampering them. But when it comes to cow care, even though there can be different ways to, to fulfill um, the goal, um, we all have the same goal, and that is a comfortable, content, safe, well-cared-for animal. Um, whether that means you're going to pasture your animals or you're going to house them in barns that are designed strictly for them, custom-built, um, you know, that's, that's up to the farmer. However, there are standards that we all adhere to. Um, the Farmers Assuring Responsible Management Program, which now actually encompasses 90% of America's milk supply and is a, a program that is mandated by our cooperative, um, helps um, make sure that we have these standards in place. There are different paths to meet the goals, but there are certain goals in place, and it covers everything from land stewardship to animal care, to husbandry, to um, trying to make sure that we have really strong vet-client-patient relationships, um, all these little things that add up to a well-managed, well-cared-for farm. Um, so um, 
I wanted to circle back before um, the end of our our time here on what you're what you all are doing with your a little more about the random acts of cheddar. So you started out today with um, you said you're with two other farmers from Connecticut, um, but tomorrow you guys will be joined in mass by more farmers from out new through, from throughout New England. So what's the plan? Where where are you going? Where will you be? Well, um, yes, gird your loins, New York City, because the buses are on their way. These farmers are so excited to get here. We already have farmers that are actually in stores throughout New York City right now. Um, but over the next two days, you're going to find farmers popping up in flash mobs, um, whether it be at a morning show or possibly nearby um, Times Square and such. We have Whole Foods Day Bars, and if you go to cabotcheese.coop, forward slash gratitude, you're actually going to be able to see the map, and you have an interactive map where you can click on the pinpoints and find out which farmer is going to be at which store. I know the Freunds are going to be at Zabar's, um, and they're going to be able to share not only the cheese, but their sustainability story. Um, they're from Connecticut. I know the Zims are on their way here from Tia Shoke Farm. Um, we've got farmers from all over New England, 120 of them almost. So it's going to be hard to not find a Cabot Plaid farmer tomorrow. I was going to say, Saturday. so you're, you're all dressed in red and black checkered garb to stand out like some of your cheese packaging. We Yes, and we've got some, some T-shirts as well. It's been a little bit warm, so we may not be able to handle the wool jacket so long, <laughs> but... We generally make a little bit noise wherever we go, and you cannot miss our Cabot buses. Um, so what, again, we started with this at the top of the hour, but so what are some of the issues that you feel like, um, or just you're showing your gratitude to your consumers, but are there any things that you really want to express to them um, in in meeting them on the ground here in New York or any things that you don't, like you said, you um, you often try to reach out as farmers through the web, through social media, but are there things that you really want to take advantage of this face-to-face opportunity to talk to them about? Oh, for sure. Um, one of the most important things to me is making sure that people understand that I'm just like them. Um, I spend my day really worried about making sure that I can put good food on my kids' table. Um, I also want to make sure that my community is happy, my community is healthy. And farmers really have a great heritage and history of being a part of their community. We have to travel a little bit longer to find it. Um, It's generally further down the road than, say, the next block or borough like it is here in the city. But at the end of the day, we're all the same. Uh, We face the same trials and tribulations. We generally smell a little bit worse at the end of the day. Um, And I like like people being able to put a face on their food, Um, you know, where it comes from and from whom. And to know that we're just like them, we're we're working just as hard, and we're really proud of the work we do. Also, like to make sure that they understand that um, we value their opinion, and we really appreciate the fact that a lot of the people we've been visiting the past few days with these random acts of cheddar, um, they don't just give their money to buy our food; they they give up their time to make sure that their neighbor is well cared for. Or, you know, like these firefighters, they're they're heading into that chaos, um, and we're all running the other way. That's been really important to us. And, you know, so many times we hear that you need a farmer three times a day, and, and, that's, and that's great. And we appreciate that people understand that and, you know, thank us for that. But we're the thankful ones. Um, you know, they live here. We, 
we get to live where we do and we get to do what we want to do. And firefighters and law enforcement, they're the people that we need to have on call and they have to be ready and, and we don't ever want to need them, but we're so glad that they're there. And that's, that's the type of gratitude we want to bring. Um, these organizations, these nonprofit organizations, these volunteer groups, these people who work day in, day out um, to make sure that their neighbor is taken care of for, that's, that's, that's the hard work. I mean, it's, well, it's, it's yeah. makes getting up easier. <laughs> well, it seems like um, they they might think the same of, of you all. So, um, well, it's great. Um, I hope that people uh, around the city, the I guess um, you can check out the um, the map on Cabot that Jenny was talking about, Cabot Online, to find out the pins of where things will be. Um, and I'm just wondering, um, a, a farmer, farm girl in the city, what what is on your highlight reel to check out? Are you able to do anything besides do your random acts of cheddar? Uh, well, you know, it's going to sound foolish, but I really just enjoyed walking last night by myself. I walked back from Chelsea back to our hotel. Um, I really would love to um, see the Highline Gardens. Um, and I would like to see some other things. I don't think I'm going to have enough time, but probably <laughs> the best thing that I've been able to do is actually talk with people um, who live here, who came to this country um, with nothing and just just are absolutely in love with it. It's been really refreshing and um, really rewarding. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back home where I don't hear noise all the time, but I think I might miss the people a little bit. Oh, well, thanks um, for taking some of your precious city time to talk with us and um, everyone make sure if they, they want to come out and meet some of the faces of their, their farmers, those Cabot cheese folks, um, check out the Cabot online. And Jenny, I understand you do um, some blogging for Flood Brothers Farm. Where can people find you online? Um, well, I like to be on Twitter a little bit at, at uh, J Tilton Flood. Um, you can also find my blog, uh, thedeermilkmaid.com. It's T H E D E E R E M I L K M A I D.com. And as always, you can visit so many Cabot farms by going to Cabot um, Cheese.coop and taking the virtual tour of so many of our farmers. Great. Well, thanks again, Jenny. Thank you. All right. So that's the end of another episode of The Farm Report. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.